Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why Starlink has caused some serious problems for astronomers and how you can help from astrophysicist Vivian Baldessari, who's a NASA Einstein postdoctoral fellow at Yale University. We'll also answer a listener question about why toilet paper is white. Let's satisfy some curiosity. There's an ambitious project underway to launch a network of satellites into orbit to provide satellite internet access around the world. But it's having some unexpected consequences for researchers. In case you haven't heard about this, the project is called Starlink. And today, astrophysicist Vivian Baldessari joins us to tell you what the problem is and what you can do about it. Here's our conversation. Let's do the basics. What is Starlink? Sure. So it is a a network of satellites that um, is being launched by SpaceX. And the goal of Starlink is to provide um, global internet coverage. Uh, The the proposed network will be composed of something around 50,000 satellites. And to date, they have launched um, a few hundred. Okay, so, I mean, global internet sounds like a great thing. What's uh, what's the problem? Especially, like, what, what do astronomers have a problem with? Yeah, um, so I agree that it does sound great. But it turns out that um, these Starlink satellites are actually extraordinarily visible from the ground with ground-based telescopes. So there's lots of satellites already up in orbit. But the problem with Starlink satellites is that they are brighter than about 99% of the things that are currently in orbit. So they're super bright um, and super detectable by ground-based telescopes. And uh, with the sheer number of them that have been proposed to be launched by Starlink and SpaceX, between uh, spacecraft and space debris, there's about 20,000 things orbiting Earth right now. Um, So we are talking about a big increase in the number of spacecraft or around the Earth. And then, as I said, they're also brighter than 99% of the stuff that's already up there. And that's just the SpaceX Starlink. Other companies are thinking of launching similar type projects. Uh, Ground-based astronomy is coming up to a bit of a crisis. Why are they so bright? I actually didn't know that. Well, what what SpaceX has said is that um, they were actually surprised by how bright they were. They thought they were going to be fainter than they are. So it was really a a shock to everyone that they were so bright and so detectable. But they are, and um, they continue to launch them now, even knowing that they are uh, much brighter than they had originally thought. So what does this look like in practice? I mean, like when you're trying to study something with a telescope, what does this look like? Yeah, so basically you get um, a big bright streak across your um, astronomy image. And there's many examples of this on Twitter from astronomers who have been observing and have had a Starlink satellite go through their image. So you get this big streak of light. And this has happened from time to time. I've had satellites um, pass through images that I've taken. But the problem now with Starlink is that there will be um, just such a huge number of them and they're so bright that it'll cause a a really big problem instead of this being kind of a rare phenomenon, um, it'll happen much more often. 
And when you get those streaks, um, it can both, well, it interferes with the, the current image that you're taking. And then if it saturates your detector, it can also leave artifacts behind on future images that you take. So it can have the potential to disrupt not just the one frame that it passes through, but several frames after that. So you, you mentioned the FCC, and that makes me wonder, like, who gives the okay to put this stuff up there? I mean, especially it seems strange that someone would be able to put something in space without consulting the people who deal with space all the time, right? Which is astronomers. Yeah. So the FCC gives approval for um, launching satellites, but there are no um, regulations around the appearance of satellites once they've been launched. And a kind of analogous situation actually happened with uh, radio astronomy in the 1970s. Um, So there were radio astronomers who were observing, and it turned out that the the first GPS satellites actually interfered uh, with those radio signals because they were emitting all across the radio spectrum. And there are now international regulations which try to coordinate those different parts of the the radio spectrum to determine who can use what so that it doesn't interfere with um, astronomy observations. So that's one example where uh, we've been able to put those regulations in place, but right now there are no regulations surrounding the appearance or brightness of satellites from orbit. Uh, And I think that's something that we really need. So I'm gonna ask a kind of a philosophical question, I guess. So I guess some people might say that getting in the way of a few astronomical observations is a small price to pay for connecting more people to the internet. So what what would you say to that? I think that that's a totally valid discussion to have. And I, I think that's one that we could have uh, as a society. But I don't think that that's a decision that should be made by a few primarily U.S.-based corporations alone. That's something that I think we as a society have to decide. Um, and they're going ahead with this plan without consulting with the rest of us. And this is something that impacts our, our night sky, which is an incredible natural resource that belongs to all of us. And to me and to uh, many others, it doesn't seem right that the, the decision to alter it in this way should be left up to a few corporations. Vivian told us that SpaceX is aware of the issue with their satellites, and they are working on the problem. They've tested some ways to make the satellites darker, but they haven't released the results yet. And like she said, there are a lot of other companies who could get in the game and create the same problem. Fortunately, there's something you can do to get involved. Right now, the U.S. Council on Environmental Quality is proposing changes to National Environmental Protection Act regulations. And right now, they're soliciting comments on those regulations, with a deadline of this coming Tuesday, March 10th. So if you feel the night sky should be included in assessments of the environmental impact of government projects, then now is the time to make your voice heard. You can find a feedback form at regulations.gov, and we'll put direct links to the form and resources for learning more in today's show notes. Thanks again to astrophysicist Vivian Baldessari, who's a NASA Einstein postdoctoral fellow at Yale University. We got a listener question from Gerald, who writes, Why is toilet paper white? Wouldn't the world save humongous quantities of chemicals and water and energy if we used unbleached natural brown toilet paper? Great question, Gerald. 
It might seem like the color of toilet paper is just a matter of marketing. And to be fair, it is a little. But that's only a small part of why toilet paper is white. The bigger reason? Well, bleaching paper does more than just make it look pure and clean. That mostly comes down to a polymer called lignin. Okay, so paper comes from wood, right? Well, wood has two main components that are important in papermaking. Cellulose, which makes up the wood's cell walls, and lignin, which acts as a stiffening agent and cement that holds the cells together. Lignin is brown. But more importantly, the less lignin a paper contains, the softer and more absorbent it is. Softness and absorbency are what most of us want in our toilet paper. And luckily, removing lignin is a major part of the papermaking process. That process begins by separating the cellulose fibers from the lignin. That's either using chemicals if you're using virgin wood or a mechanical blender type thing if you're making recycled paper. The longer the pulp spends processing, the more lignin is removed. But this step can never remove all of the lignin and too much time spent processing can actually degrade the cellulose, resulting in a weaker product. How do you remove more lignin without damaging the cellulose? Bleaching. That's usually done using chlorine dioxide gas, which might sound scary, but it's actually considered a pollution prevention technology. It's hailed by the EPA and the United Nations because it doesn't produce the toxic substances that previous methods did. The bleaching process does make the toilet paper white, but more importantly, it makes it soft, absorbent, and let's be honest, nicer to use on your sensitive parts. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to clear-cut forests and pollute waterways just to make our behinds comfortable. While it is harder to remove lignin from recycled materials, there are plenty of companies making recycled toilet paper that does the job just fine. You can also buy TP made from bamboo or sugarcane, which are more sustainable than the pine and spruce trees that standard toilet paper comes from. You can also try using a bidet. But whatever you do, don't judge a toilet paper by its color. There's a lot more going on beneath the surface. Thanks for your question, Gerald. If you have a question, then send an email to podcast at curiosity.com or leave us a voicemail on our studio line at 312-596-5208. Stay subscribed to Curiosity Daily and you might even hear your voice on a future episode. One more time, that's 312-596-5208. Before we recap what we learned today, here's a sneak peek at what you'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Next week, you'll learn about new neuroscience research into why yoga can reduce depression, the surprising health differences between brown and white rice, how bumblebees are able to carry 80% of their own body weight, whether binaural beats are worth the hype, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Ashley, why did you want to talk about Starlink on this podcast? Well, because I follow a lot of scientists online and I see kind of the stuff that they're complaining about and excited about, but... People are frustrated about these satellites. I saw so many pictures that were posted of the beautiful night sky with these giant streaks through them. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk to somebody and find out why. I thought it was excellent. And I left feedback on the government website about the Starlink thing. I said, I think the night sky should be included in assessments of the environmental impact of government projects. It's not a perfect fix. But it does put it on the radar of, you know, policymakers that maybe we should pay attention to that sky that we all share. Right. The sky is just as much a part of our world as the forests and the mountains and the water. Did you leave feedback? Man, I was going to, I knew, Ashley? I knew that was going to be a question you're going to ask me. And I was like, better do it before you record. And guess what? I didn't do it. I'm going to do it. 
And the listeners are going to do it too. That's cool. You have till Tuesday, March 10th. It's regulations.gov. You might even see it in the trending regulations area on the left. I just saw it right at the top of the page. Didn't even have to search for it. And in the show notes, we also link to a really handy PDF that kind of tells you how to write a good comment so that people will listen to you. You know, it's published by the government, so they, they kind of know what they're looking for. Perfect. And I also learned that toilet paper is white because you have to remove the lignin to make it soft and fluffy. And lignin also happens to be brown. So you end up with white toilet paper. But the bleaching process itself is not particularly toxic. Not as toxic as it used to be. And hey, baby steps. <laughs> yeah. We can just applaud the improvements, right? Yes. Cool. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hamer, Kelsey Donk, and Mae Rice, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Have a great weekend and join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.